Zoleka Kodasha, thank you. She comes back tomorrow, as she said. Looking forward to that. Please take care, mask up, wash your hands, and keep that social distancing. If you were listening to the minister, he said, even at night, Zoleka, keep that social distance. Go to bed alone and wake up alone and keep that distance. That's what the minister said. Boy, would I love to hear him say that to my face. Love to hear him say. But hey, he's not here now, so we move on. Now we're talking to Gerald Williamson, educationist and clinical psychologist, about what they're forecasting to be a problem. The feasibility of online learning and education in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Should the national lockdown be extended as it just might? We don't know. How will it affect learning, especially for learners in rural areas with no access to educational resources? Is it perhaps time to rethink learning and education by speeding up the fourth industrial revolution? How prepared is government to use e-learning and is this form of learning useful? Joining us now, as I did say, for this conversation is Gerald Williamson, educationist, a clinical psychologist and our guest for the segment. Gerald, good evening to you. And thank you for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening, Naya, and good evening to your midnight listeners. Well, it's not midnight not quite yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> do tell. Do you imagine that our government is ready for e-learning? Big, big question. Eh? Well, you know what, Naya, uh, I think what is important to understand about uh, what we're currently talking about when we say e-learning, you know, uh, e-learning is a a differentiated concept of learning that has different legs, if I may say so, and each of these legs speak to a different part of, of, of the way we learn. But the one that we are talking now during this lockdown time is maybe an emergency form of transporting information to students uh, and uh, under emergency conditions, right? So, which means we're not talking about the perfect e-learning system, uh, the, uh, but we're talking about an emergency form of learning. Yeah, so uh, I don't think then that we potentially are ready at the moment. We're doing it haphazardly. In fact, I was remarking to somebody today that the e-learning uh, strategy uh, under these emergency conditions seems to be driven by the private sector. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with me on that. Well, I'm I'm curious to know if we are able as a country to have a drive, an education drive that would be equitably distributed to everyone. For example, the availability of data seems to be lopsided, available only to those who can afford. And even those who could afford, now that we're going to be seeing job losses, Will they still be able to afford data if learning is relegated to the electronic field? Yeah. I think, you know, beyond just, uh, if I may comment on this, just beyond the concept of data lies the whole idea of a strategy. I don't think that, you know, uh, our education system, uh, and for that matter, the public education system, has prepared itself for this type of scenario yet. I mean, they've been flirting around with the concept of, of e-learning, you know, via tablets, etc. but there's been no formal strategy in place. So even if you had data, I may argue, 
uh, there is no strategy to transfer information in a in a manner that uh, children, even in duper, deepest rural areas, may learn. And I I like what you're saying because reality speaking means that uh, um, there's economic and socioeconomic hurdles at the moment that is just too big to talk about uh, 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 victory in an e-learning strategy over the next three weeks, for that matter. When the president first announced the state of disaster in country, he did say that we are going to pinch a few weeks or if not exactly a week during the June holidays to try and compensate for the time taken away because of the lockdown. But then again, it would appear as though in spite of that, there is nothing or little, very little done by schools to make sure that they keep up with the education with their students. Is it possible that this academic year is going down or going up in flames or going down the drain, proverbially? Well, you know, big. Uh, there's a big statement to make. You know, I, I'd rather argue, I'd rather like to say that, you know, the timing of, of this virus, as unfortunate as it is, means it lands in the month of April largely. And uh, traditionally, April uh, by us is a broken month. Uh, and uh, for that matter... Uh, uh, I think schooling by itself may not have been impacted as severely yet, you know, until uh, we go into uh, uh, when schools supposed to traditionally reopen. And I hope, uh, uh, you know, be that there is made the powers that be will then give us direction on what's happening on the virus front. But, you know, uh, in terms of e-learning as a strategy itself, you know, I think we need to be cautious here. You know, e-learning is a vehicle of learning, and it has its pros and cons. And when we talk the fourth industrial revolution, and if we think beyond this, this crisis, right, that uh, uh, if e-learning is a strategy, because in future we might encounter uh, um, uh, more catastrophes, viruses, climate change events, etc., then one needs to consider that e-learning will become very useful during their times, especially. But in historical African and Southern African context, we're still going to talk about a blended learning experience going beyond this crisis. And a blended learning experience refers to a mixture of e-learning and contact learning. And what the percentage is, of course, you know, uh, and what should be ideal even for our rural areas is going to be a matter of how well we plan. You know, do we, for example, talk about a a two-day schooling week in future, and this is where we we now have to start thinking out of the box. Do we talk about the two-day contact uh, uh, learning sessions in future, and three of the other days are spent with uh, a, a e-learning environment at home, where uh, if under ideal cons- uh, conditions there's data available, you know, uh, government has made adequate provision, teachers are retrained to do training in uh, online as well, not just within context situations, and and how, how are we exactly going to do this in going forward? And I think we, as a country, and as a continent, we need to sit down, and it's not like the overseas guys have got it aced either, you know, so Africa will have to chart its own way using its own ideas of how technology be, has to be used within our context. 
Well, you are listening to a conversation we're having with an educationist and a clinical psychologist. Our guest is Gerald Williamson. He's talking to us about the reality that perhaps our education system needs to evolve with the times and perhaps in this case evolve with the virus. Seeing that the virus now has changed our educational landscape, we ought to respond equitably to the demands of the times. I'd like to hear what you have to say on the matter. 0891 If you have a child, for example, who's doing matric in the year 2020, which is now being disrupted minimally for now by the COVID-19, what are you doing as a parent to make sure that your child does not miss out on much-needed schooling days? If you have a child who's doing grade 7, moving to grade 8 next year, who needs to be well, very well prepared for high school, as a parent, what are you doing to make sure that your child does not miss out on well-needed time with the teacher? Is it possible that as parents we are also caught unawares, caught with our pants down by this virus to the extent that we have not done anything to make sure that our children don't miss out on this very important time for education. That's what Gerald is bringing to our attention, that perhaps we need to go with the times and rethink our educational dispensation. So, proposal there, Gerald. Is there something you're proposing for the interim? You know, under the current situations, uh, let me start there just to, to, to say, look, you know, where technology is available, you know, uh, and, and this, of course, is the sad part. It's, it's going to be a case of the have and the have not, and where uh, our government and the private sector is coming together to try and make education as accessible as it can be. Of course, there are the end devices that has to receive that, and it's not so easy to just uh, uh, go out there and, and see that every parent has access to the right delivery methods and so forth. But you know, under the conditions, I think parents have to also consider, and I know this is not ideal, I say this under great duress, that somewhere uh, you have to understand that learning goes beyond just the educational content received at school. So there is partially responsibility to teach kids a whole lot of other things while this situation is unfolding, including the issues around values, uh, uh, the issues around uh, home skills, you know, chores, etc., which are all part of the learning matrix. However, where the formal knowledge is required, you know, uh, whilst uh, companies like uh, Vodacom and others are making available platforms of learning, it has uh, uh, its limitations uh, in terms of access. But where parents do have, they need to use these platforms. My biggest concern is that, uh, you know, that this virus, as you earlier on alluded to, has just fast-tracked the concept and idea that we need to use different mediums uh, of, of uh, teaching uh, in addition to thinking creatively about how else we're going to do it. So if we know that schooling provides a deep learning experience because of the socialization that kids have with other kids, that they learn through play, that they learn communication skills, sharing, caring, etc., in groups, etc., versus sitting in front of a computer, which is often described as superficial learning. It, it allows for some uh, critical thinking skills, out-of-the-box skills, problem-solving skills, but it, it means that we will have to 
teach our chil- children the skills of socialization, uh, deep learning skills elsewhere. It might be in sporting environments, etc. But this virus is really just fast-tracked the whole concept that, hey, South Africa, Africa, you've you got to wake up uh, in the world for that matter and, and find different ways. But I think there's no one-size-fits-all solution that I could provide at this uh, moment now. Safe to say that um, you, you and I are going to see such an upheaval and change of the way we do things over the next two, three, four months. And let me just throw one of those into the frying pan. When when we talk about uh, e-learning as one medium, for example, how do you talk about reskilling or upskilling a whole generation of teachers who has to become comfortable with the medium, become skilled with the medium? And for that matter, uh, they must be able to transfer knowledge in such a way that our society continues to exist with a sufficient skill to build on. That in itself is a, is a task that gives me goosebumps, raises the hair on the back of my neck, and I'd like us all to sit down as a society, in every group, in every corner, and say, how are we going to do this beyond this virus? I want us to take a break. When we come back, I'd like us to address something that perhaps is embarrassing for us as parents. The ability to help our children in the absence of the teacher. Will we as parents be able to teach our children what pi minus cos times tan is? Do we understand what a any of these concepts that our children learn in physical science or mathematics or whatever? Are we ready to step in where the teachers are no longer there? Can we and we will be able to handle all the teaching or have we as parents failed our children to the extent that now we are exposed after the break? Hashtag SAFM Headspace. Welcome back. You're still listening to the Headspace with me, Nayelo Pondon. And not to forget that we'll be taking your calls for the open line in a short while. But right now we're still engaged in a conversation about education for our children. We are in conversation with our guest, Gerald Williamson, educationist and clinical psychologist. And before we went to the break, I asked the question. I'm going to park the question for now and take your calls and your voice notes. I asked the question, is it possible that even we as parents have been exposed to be incompetent to help our children to prepare and be ready for their reopening of schools? And if they don't go back to school after the 7th, the 16th, is it possible that we, again, as parents, have been exposed as incompetent people to help our children learn in their education? Because we have always relegated that to be the field of the teacher, and we don't even look at their diaries. We're going to pop the question for now. I want us to go to Cape Town. Ashraf is in Cape Town. Good evening, Ashraf. All right, Ashraf is not there any longer. Uh, let's go back to my question then, uh, Gerald. Uh, what's to be said about parents in this age of coronavirus? Yeah, you know, I think that this situation has, uh, as we can see on social media, there's all these humorous videos going around of parents posting how difficult it is for them and how (laughs) frustrating it is. You know, and there's some truth in that. And by and large, I think there are parents that are trying, uh, that 
Uh, parents are trying to cope with the content. They have been always trying to cope with that content for a long way. I, you know, I've, I've heard parents complaining about the difficulty of the curriculum and how it has changed from their days and, and so forth and so forth. So during this time, I think it has brought them closer to that reality that uh, we as parents also need some form of, uh, um, uh, I think, upskilling in uh, trying to assist our kids. And I think it's truly frustrating for many parents, and I, 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 I actually empathize. But uh, at the same time, just to give parents a sense of hope and say, you know, uh, I think that when your child looks at you and they, they see your frustration and, and, and they also uh, uh, see that you are able to or you want to try and help, children are very forgiving if their parents are there and they're doing it in a nice manner. And, and they're there to support. And so you can make it a situation of learning together. But coming back to the original question, you know, has this exposed our own knowledge deficit uh, as a parent population? I think for a large part of our population, it has done that. And I think it has also brought newfound respect for teachers, I think. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Perhaps my very well have to go back to junior secondary and learn. Uh, let's go to some voice notes there. And once again, this is to say thank you very much to the teachers who have been there to protect our dignity and teach our children what we cannot. Let's go to the voice notes, shall we, Phineas? No, I, I don't think we are ready as, as South Africa for electronic e-learning. For example, in rural areas, you hardly have e-land access in J2 network. There's not enough spectrum. As much as ECAS has just released, I don't know what the spectrum recently, but there's not enough. Just another example, we were supposed to just have simple things, set up boxes. I don't know when it was that supposed yeah. to be due, but it's already passed. That simple thing that would allow a digital migration which is not yet possible. So imagine getting okay, e-learning, we don't have enough data. Yeah. Don't even speak about the fact that even teachers themselves can't even use a computer, even if we had e-learning with data and everything and access, getting okay, all the access that we require to online learning, teaching getting okay, itself by these teachers as soon as more specifically Eastern Cape, no. I, I, I am from the Eastern Cape. I was taught by these teachers. I'm proud of these teachers. They made me what I am today. Don't, don't down our teachers in the Eastern Cape. Let's go back to Ashraf in Cape Town. Ashraf, good evening. Hello, good evening, Naya. How are you? Well, thank you, Ashraf. Go ahead. I'm good. Listen, yeah, I've got an, I've got an, uh, 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 um, we are just, we are just interacting about high schools. Hmm. But we are not concentrating on the primary schools. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So the best thing I, w- I think the government should do is all major role players in the education department can come together with the teachers and then arrange, um, you have SABC1, SABC2, SABC3, and ETV. Uh, seeing that we don't have that where we can actually um, interact with, 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 with the latest technology yet, and I don't think that they're going to be prepared to actually give people all this information on a regular basis. You can actually have the classroom on the television every day so that learners can actually, at certain times of the day, actually get educated 
as they are uh, uh, sitting in a classroom. I'm not sure if, if, if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. All right. All right. We'll have our guests respond. Very interesting idea. Thank you very much, Ashraf. Appreciate your call. Gerald, TV, yeah, think, uh, TV uh, classrooms? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I sort of made a point about, uh, and, and I think, you know, this has been one part of, of online learning has been trying to do uh, uh, classrooms through television, etc. And, and I think, you know, I, I will go one further and say, you know, it calls for a whole sit down and rethink how we're going to uh, do this because it goes beyond just providing a computer and providing a, a link uh, and, and a cell phone to access. When we talk about how learning should take place so that we have a meaningful society in the next 50 or 100 years, and we're talking about using the fourth industrial revolution and e-learning as a strategy, we need to have the best minds and also parents involved, etc., sitting around and saying, okay, these are our challenges and these are our limitations and these are our strengths and weaknesses. And to achieve the goal of, for example, of skills building for different careers in society, which careers would be best suited for online learning versus non-online learning, for example? Which ones need contact and which ones don't? Where do we need a certain form of deeper learning versus the ones we don't? So as you can see now, what I'm really referring to there is to be just cautious about uh, pushing out uh, isolated flare type of suggestions versus calling for a comprehensive sit-down and strategy. And that the virus has woken us all up to this possibility means that, you know, it has taken this back burner conversation where we've whispered about e-learning in the background, where we've paid lip service by, for example, just talking about giving out tablets, etc. We're now talking about a fully-fledged strategy or else. Or else what? Or else there's going to be many, many catastrophes coming along, and we just got to be prepared to teach our children in a different way in going forward. But it's not going to happen in this month of April, of course. Okay. I'm going to take one caller and one voice note. I'm going to let you go after responding to that. Is that okay, Gerald? With your permission, sir. Thank you very much. Andrew is at Midrank. Good evening, Andrew. Good evening, and I thank you for a fantastic uh, program show again once again. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you get to say something about uh, developing materials, you know, that are more attuned to your kind of homeschooling curriculum, you know, that uh, support of uh, support of parents to be able to teach learners at home. Now, I know that many of our learners might not know anything about your courses and your tangents and all that in terms of mathematics, but these materials, uh, usually the ones that are done are such that, uh, you know, they, they give quite a lot of guidance for, for, for homeschooling and for the parent who's doing homeschooling. But the parent doesn't necessarily have to be an expert in that particular field. So I'd like to hear his comments on, 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 on the challenge that would then arise material developers to develop such material that are more tuned to that kind of support. Say that again there, Andrew, your question again? My question is just uh, for him to say something about uh, developing materials that would support, you know, in terms of textbooks and so on, okay. materials okay. 
that would uh, support parents at home to do homeschooling. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Andrew. Okay. Appreciate your call, Andrew. Let's go to the voice note. Go ahead, Phineas. Good evening, this is Sim from Switch. The issue of e-learning, South Africa is ready for e-learning. The problem is that these conversations are led by politicians and these so-called academics and economists who don't have any clue of technology. These topics are supposed to be led by CSIR and State Information Technology Agency. It's very simple. You take all these learning materials, you capture them via cloud on Amazon Web Service. Learners can access them with laptops or even tablets. And as for data, one gigabyte of data is 150. It can last you, if you use it for for learning responsibly, it can last you for for 30 days. All right. Would you like to respond to that, Gerald? Yeah, I think uh, both people, uh, uh, Andrew and, and the second caller, made a good point. I think what is very evident in, in having to put uh, strategies together for, for e-learning calls also for specialized content, and I need to bring it to the attention of listeners. You know, when we talk about e-learning, I think there's a tendency to, uh, to think that you're replicating a textbook and you're putting it online. Mm. The truth is that in a classroom, a lot of the learning uh, currently in our current CAPS curriculum in South Africa is teacher-centered, which means the teacher uses the textbook as an aid at certain times. But when you put it online, it actually changes its position where the teacher is a facilitator to the learning. And uh, therefore, the content can't just be replicated willy-nilly, especially in a culture where children are struggling with literacy and numeracy. For example, your content can't be word-heavy. There has to be specialized content designed age-appropriate, outcomes-appropriate, and in a manner that is consumed by both parent and child, because we're also calling on the parent now to be a co-facilitator at certain times. So as we correctly said, you don't want to bamboozle the, the parent out of the equation so that they feel defeated. So your content has to be designed in a specialist way, and that's why both callers are correct in that society uh, has to tap on its expertise, and maybe the tongue-in-cheek statement is that, you know, before politicians announce these strategies, they needed to have sat down with the right, uh, or call in the right uh, expertise from across society to help design this content over the next couple of months and years, and therefore also the right mediums at the right price, at the right time. Oi. Okay. Gerald Williams, thank you very much for appreciate we appreciate you coming through and talk to us. We really, really love talking about these things. They open our minds and perhaps even equip us now to think differently in the morning, Gerald Williamson. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Gerald Williamson is educationist and clinical psychologist talking to us about this. You have your ears. You have heard what he said. Even if you don't understand, now you have the opportunity to apply your mind as a parent, whether it is at varsity or at primary level, your child needs to be taken care of by you. Our government is not giving you schools at home, but giving you the opportunity to apply your mind to what can be done to make sure that our children are well schooled. Let's go to the open line. I'm going to play all your voice notes and take your calls. 0891-104-207. 0891-104-207. Send your WhatsApp text and voice notes to our WhatsApp line. 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107.